Let me ask you a question. Where were you in March of 2020? I was in Phoenix, Arizona, following my favorite baseball team during their spring training. After attending maybe one or two games, my son-in-law walked up to me and said, Hey, you heard that spring training's canceled, right? I thought he was pulling my leg. Turns out he wasn't. That night, he asked me, Have you heard of Dr. Mike Osterholm? He's an expert on infectious diseases from the University of Minnesota. He's on the Joe Rogan podcast. Unfortunately, I didn't know Dr. Mike at that point. So all of us listened intently to Dr. Osterholm on Joe Rogan's podcast that night, and I have to admit, I became a big fan. Since then, I've listened to every single one of Dr. Osterholm's podcast, The Osterholm Update, 133 episodes to be exact. Mike and his team have kept me and my family safe during the COVID-19 pandemic. I trust him. He's a veteran public health epidemiologist, and he really, really knows his stuff. Plus, plus, Mike and his team run the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy at the University of Minnesota. Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy, that's abbreviated CIDRAP, C-I-D-R-A-P, at U of M. CIDRAP's a global leader in addressing public health preparedness and the responses for emerging infectious diseases that we see coming out of our federal government. They have a great website. You should check it out. You can find them at sidrap.umn.edu. Once again, that's sidrap, C-I-D-R-A-P, at umn.edu. Protect yourself and your family. Listen. Read. Learn from Dr. O and his team like I have. Welcome to Grassroots Health. My name is Tim Jordan, and I'm the host of this podcast. I welcome you. Thanks for listening. If you care about health, yours or other people's, then this podcast is for you. It's distributed monthly on the first Monday of each month. Best of all, it's free. You can find it wherever you get your podcast. Grassroots Health is sponsored by the 1795 Group. Check us out at 1795group.com. Thanks again for joining us today. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to episode number 11 of Grassroots Health. My name is Tim Jordan, and I'm your host. Happy Independence Day. You know, here are some interesting historical facts about the summer of 1776 that you may not have learned in your history class. As the Declaration of Independence was being read to the troops of the Continental Army on July 9th, 1776, did you know they were on the verge of being routed by the British Army? They were. The troops and their faithful had just enough time to tear down the two-ton statue of King George III in New York. They sent it up the East River to Connecticut, where its pieces were melted down into musket balls. <laughs> That's true. You see, the British had George Washington's troops trapped in New York City, almost. Washington found an escape route. He crossed the Delaware River. He regrouped. And then he went back on the offensive. And had the British been just a little bit more aggressive and cut off Washington and Manhattan, the war would have probably been lost. And the Declaration of Independence would have been nothing but evidence of treason. And there's no telling what kind of history we'd be talking about today. George Washington and his Continental Army played a major role in our Jordan family history. And the choice of the name for the 1795 group. You didn't know that. One of my ancestors fought the British with George Washington. His name, Captain William Jordan. Captain William Jordan was born on January 1st, 1750 in Goochland, Virginia, which is now the greater Richmond area. William Jordan, also known as Jordan, J-O-R-D-E-N, was captain of the Campbell County, Virginia Militia, and he was also a captain in the American Revolution. 
And after the war was over, the Continental Army and the federal government, the new federal government of the United States, was broke. They had zero money. No one really expected that the Revolutionary War would last eight years. So instead of paying their soldiers after the war, the federal government awarded bounty lands to citizens and soldiers for services rendered. In simple form, the, this involved the exchange of free land. You can guess where it was. It was to the West for their military service. You know, this was more of a win for the new federal government than for the soldiers and their families. It was like, here you go. Here's some free land. Take your wife and your family and your kids westward. Clear the land. Make roads. Build homes. Start towns. Here you go. The land is yours. God bless you, boys. <laughs> That's kind of what they did. In September of 1776... The Continental Congress approved a resolution awarding these grants of public land to all who served in the Continental Army for the duration of the conflict. You see, the amount of land varied with your rank, ranging from around 100 acres for privates and non-commissioned officers to 500 acres for colonels and 1,100 acres for major generals. I'm guessing that Captain Jordan probably got about two, 300 acres. I don't know. It doesn't say what captains got. Nine existing states, all on the eastern seaboard of the United States, awarded these bounty land grants. And these directly affected the future of Kentucky, Tennessee, and Ohio, among a few other states. By the way, Kentucky wasn't even a state yet. So Captain William Jordan died before May 20th, 1817. We know that for sure. And he died in Breckenridge, Kentucky. We know that for sure. On the northwestern side of the state. We're not exactly sure when he died, but he was one of the first of our family, the first Jordans to migrate from Virginia to Kentucky. Other Jordans, including Jonas Jordan, who was born in 1795, in Virginia, Bedford County to be exact, followed Captain William. Around 1817, I'm guessing or so, Jonas and his new wife Martha and her two young boys from a previous marriage, no, it wasn't a divorce, her husband died tragically from some type of an explosion. Jonas was nice enough to approach her and said, hey, do you want to get married? I'll adopt your two kids. They did and they made the long, arduous 300-mile trek from Virginia to Lawrence County, Kentucky, in eastern Kentucky. I'm guessing it was probably by covered wagon, considering the young ages of the kids. Three generations later, fast forward, right near Jonas Jordan's farm, my dad Clyde was born. As the radio announcer used to say, now you know the rest of the story. Let's talk about current times. Let me tell you about a special deal that I decided to offer you. If you go to our website, that's 1795group.com, and if you sign the form, all we need is your first name and email. It takes about five seconds. I'll give you your choice of a resource guide on our products page. That's a five, $5 value. Not bad for five seconds of your time. All we need is your first name and email address, and in return, you get a free resource guide. And these resource guides, there's 12 of them there. They do just that. They guide you and provide important and very helpful information to you that you won't get anywhere else. I know. I wrote all 12 of them. They're also written summaries of past virtual workshops that you may want. We've done three last year. We go by academic year, how to do needs assessments. Grants 101, and How to Communicate and Care for Dying People. You can buy those there, too. In return for your first name and email address, about three times a year, you'll receive valuable updates on the research, best practices, important announcements, and upcoming events. So, again, take advantage of that deal at www.1795group.com. Okay, let's talk about our special guest today. I've been waving to her through the little window in the studio here. She's waving back. How you doing? Nice to see you. I'll be with you in just a second. On this episode, my special guest is Rhonda Hart. 
and she and I are going to explore this topic. It's an important one. When gun violence becomes personal. You see, no one really cares about gun violence, in my opinion, until it hits home, until it's part of your family, until it becomes personal. Prior to May 18th, 2008, Rhonda was an ordinary mom. She had two kids. Her 14-year-old daughter, Kimberly, was in Girl Scouts. She liked cats. She liked art. And the family lived in Santa Fe, Texas. Prior to May 18th, 2018, Rhonda was just an ordinary mom. About 7.32 in the morning that day, gun violence became personal for Rhonda. Her daughter, Kim, was murdered by a school shooter. He started firing his weapons, both of his firearms, a short-barreled 12-gauge Remington pump-action shotgun and a Rossi 38 caliber snub-nosed revolver. Both were legally owned by his father. One wounded victim told reporters that the shooter walked into the classroom and pointed his firearm at another person, singing, another one bites the dust in between shots. Nice. According to another witness, students barricaded themselves in the art classroom storage closet, but the shooter shot through the door with a shotgun. He left the art room briefly, causing students to leave the closet, and they attempted to barricade the art room door, but he pushed the door open, and then upon spotting a student that he knew, he said, surprise, and shot the student in the chest. The shooter was 17 years old and was a student at the school. Here's Rhonda Hart. I hope you benefit and learn from this podcast. Well, good afternoon or good morning or good evening. I don't I don't know when you're listening, but this is episode 11 of Grassroots Health. This is in early July. So happy July 4th to you. If you're listening, you're in July. This was streamed originally the first Monday of the month on July 3rd. And my special guest today, she's been waiting patiently in the studio. I've been waving to her and everything is Rhonda Hart. Hi, Rhonda. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Good to see you today. Uh, Let's get right to it, okay? So in this podcast, uh, as we did, we talked about in the introduction, we're going to talk about when gun violence becomes personal. And gun violence became personal for you on May 18th, 2018. Our listeners probably, many of them are younger, they may not have remembered. Some of them are older, they may not have remembered. Um, So many of our listeners won't know or won't remember what happened. So tell us what happened at Santa Fe High School that day. So the gunman entered our school and eventually made his way down to the art class where he managed to kill uh, 10 folks and then injure 13 more. So he killed 10 Mm -hmm. and shot 13 more. So that's 23 people. That's amazing. Almost two dozen. And I recall that was pretty early in the morning, wasn't it? It was. It was um, about 7.30 to 8 is when the shooting uh, happened. So this was a 17-year-old, you said. Was he a student at the school? Yeah, he was. He was. Okay. Let's talk about your daughter, Kimberly. Kimberly, who was shot that day. Uh, we want our listeners, including me, uh, to really get to know her. And I, I want this podcast to be a, a positive memorial to her. So what was she like as a baby? What was, what was Kimberly like as a baby? She was a good baby. Uh, bless her heart. But she would also, she would cut like four teeth at a time. And you want to talk about oh, man. that being hard work. Yeah, that was really tough. <laughs> four at a time. Oh, yeah. She'd go for months without cutting any teeth and then have four coming in, you know, all at once. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. That was really hard. That is hard. Um, 
Yeah, it was. But she she was, I mean, spunky even from the beginning. I remember she was three, three and a half. And uh, we had just seen the movie Cars. I was trying to get her out of the house one morning. And I said, come on, princess, let's go. And she said, I'm not a princess, mommy. I'm a race car. <laughs> well, come on, race Which car. Which I thought was adorable. Yeah, come on, race car. <laughs> <laughs> let's go, race car. Yeah, that's a that's a good story. Uh, as we move into the ages of five and eight, you know, five through eight, kids are like kindergarten through maybe third grade. What was she mm-hmm. like as a elementary school child? Any funny stories? Um, as she got older she, and learned how to read, she loved reading. She always had one book that she was working on, and then another book just in case she finished that one. Wow. <laughs> so she was a voracious reader. She totally was. Did she like the Harry Potter books at all? We loved Harry Potter. And if you're recording the video of this, you can see I have a Harry Potter set up in my craft room here. Yeah, we had just gone and visited, you know, taken like that, that stereotypical family trip to Orlando about a month before the shooting. And we had spent a couple days in Harry Potter land and at Disney. And yeah, we were huge fans. Yeah. I'm glad you did that prior to her death. That was really a meaningful family time. So did she have any particular likes, dislikes, habits, any favorite foods? No, not really. She was kind of a picky eater, but we were working on that. Um, she was learning how to cook. I tried to get her to cook um, like one night a week um, just to teach her how to be a functioning human, yeah. which all par- all parents should have their kids cook one night a week just so they learn how to follow a recipe yeah, that's, at that, least. That's a really good idea. My wife said that's that my wife always said skill. if you can read, you can cook because you can follow a recipe, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So... She got into, like, junior high school, 12, 13, 14, middle school. Did she have any favorite subjects? Um, reading, obviously, English. English. Um, she participated in, um, a con- like, a trivia contest. It was called Battle of the Books. It's like a quiz show. Um, she was not a huge fan of, like, math, but, I mean... Really, who is? Um, And then creative writing. She would love to read the creative story, but then if you asked her to create one, that was was not happening. (laughs) I'm guessing maybe she was off the charts in terms of her reading ability for her age, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's kids that read early like that. I think as an assistant principal, I know we used to say from kindergarten through third grade, kids learn how to read. But from fourth grade onward, kids read to learn. She totally was. We had pet cats when she was younger, and she would catnap them and keep them in her room for an extended amount of time, and I'd have to go and rescue them. (laughs) (laughs) Did she take the litter box in with her? (laughs) Oh, God, no. No, we didn't get that far. (laughs) Yeah, so, and I also heard that Kimberly was into scouting, Girl Scouts. Was she a Girl Scout? Yeah, she totally was. There's a photo right here. Um, oh, yeah, I see at that. one of her. Yeah, at one of her. It's, it's my favorite photo, actually. It's the one that I hand out all the time. Um, and she was one of those kids that had signed up for scouting in kindergarten. And she was going to continue all the way through high school. She was actually just about to start working on her gold award, which is the highest honor that a Girl Scout can earn. And unfortunately, we didn't, you know, we didn't get to do that because of the shooting. But um, our Girl Scout Council, San Jacinto, had finished it for her, which is really, Very it was really nice. sweet of them. Was, yeah. was Kim a brownie? Was brownies before the Girl Scouts, I think? So it goes, it goes Daisy Brownies. Daisies. Juniors, okay. cadets, and then um, seniors. And she was a senior level. Oh, wow. Okay. All yeah. Right. So somewhere around here, I have all of her. Um, 
I have all of her uniforms with all of her patches on them. Yeah, I, I like scouting because of earning what you can earn on those patches and the sash and the whole thing. That's mm-hmm. really neat. Well, again, it's it's life skills, you know. It's life skills. And she loved going to camp. She'd go to camp almost every summer um, and stay for a week. It was great. <laughs> it builds independence. Yeah, speaking of camp, my two oldest grandkids are at camp this summer and this week, and they're not allowed to call home. And so I think mom yeah. and dad and especially grandma, my wife, I mean, they're all nervous about, I wonder if they're okay. And I said, fine. you know, they'll be fine. You know, it's, it's good for kids to detox from electronics, honestly, mm-hmm. in this day and age. If anything really, if anything really happens, you'll get a call from the camp nurse. Oh, yeah. Like if they get really hurt. Yeah, they'll be fine. Yeah, they'll be fine. Thank you for that. Yeah, for that they'll assurance. be great. <laughs> so let's get personal for a minute. Kimberly, I think, was 14 when she was killed. Yeah, so she was... She was 14. She has, uh, her birthday is August 12. And so she, you know, her birthday was obviously was in the middle of August. She turned five. And then a couple of weeks later, you're allowed to start kindergarten. Okay. If you're five before August 1st. So she was an and early, so she, early five. Yeah. So she, yeah. So she was one of the younger kids probably in her grade, you know, as, okay. as a whole group. So she was, she was like the baby of um, all the kids that that were killed that day. Yeah. That's like my daughter. Uh, we enrolled her probably early. Uh, I think her her birthday was like that. So, so gun violence um, via mass shooting at the school, and this is in Santa Fe, Texas, uh, struck you in a very personal way. You didn't ask for it. You didn't, no. You didn't deserve it. Uh, Kim certainly didn't deserve it. She didn't do anything to deserve it. But she was murdered that day, along with seven other students and two teachers and 13 other people who were shot and wounded. And you've probably never been the same. I think I don't think your life has no. been the same. Um, no. And <laughs> people that have been wounded or were there to witness or saw those kids, they'll never be the same. I, I know how that is because I've talked to people who have like almost post-traumatic stress syndrome. So I teach death and dying at the University of Toledo. I've taught for 23 years. So I need to ask you these two very personal questions to help them, to help my students and their parents and grandparents. So how has loss and grief changed you and your family? That's the first question. How has loss, Kimberly's death and the grief, how's it changed you and your family? Um, Well, for me, just like physically, I think that it it almost changed my immune response to a lot of things. Wow. The yeah, especially the first year I was really prone to um I pinched the, a nerve in my neck and it radiated all the way down to my fingers, to my pinky finger and my thumb. I had to have I, like two rounds of physical therapy to get that sorted out and get it back functioning the way it should be, you know, properly. Um, my hair would fall out at regular intervals, just in clumps. Mm. Um, you know, emotionally, you never, you never get over the grief. It gets easier to manage. Um, I, I have this analogy where grief is like a bucket or is, is like water, right? So like we always were like, here's my water cup. We always have to have, we're always going to have water with us to stay hydrated, right? And sometimes it's really easy to manage in our little cup or our little water bottle. And then sometimes, you know, you get like this bigger bucket, you get like a, like a sand pail, and then you get a five gallon. And then sometimes the Hoover Dam just opens up and grief just like washes over you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really like, it's, and that whole grief, do you teach about the grief cycle? I do. Right? It's like a wheel. For me, that whole thing, the wheel doesn't exist. It's more like a pinball. <laughs> it bounces all over. You know, sometimes you're hanging yeah. out over here and then it'll shoot up here and over. That's exactly right. Matt. That's why I tell my students I hate stage models because yeah. humans don't go one, two, three, four, fives. We don't march step. 
through five or six stages yeah. of grief. Where it's like a pinball machine. It's like a mountain. Yeah, it's it like, really is. It's, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's like it's a dormant totally. volcano. Like it could be dormant and then psh, it could explode yep. the next day. Um, yep. So let me ask you this question along those lines. So, what advice do you have for others who may have lost? Children, a sudden unexpected death of a child. It could be a car accident, could be a bicycle accident, sudden illness, or a shooting. What what advice would you have for them? My first bit of advice probably applies to like the first six to eight weeks after you've lost your kid. I call that the blur, right? Everybody's crying, you don't remember anything. Maybe you've eaten, maybe not. And my advice to them is, it's like a countdown, is try to get four hours of sleep a day, right, at night. Take a little nap, do what you have to do. Uh, Three, you need to eat three times a day. So um, what I did, we were big fans of just like little nibbles, string cheese, uh, almond pouches, uh, sushis, whatever gives you some energy, you need to eat three times a day, right? Uh, two, two times a day, you need to brush your teeth because that's just good hygiene. And then one, you need to take one shower a day. And everything else that you manage on top of that is just like gravy, right? You've taken care of your, your, like your four basic needs, right? You've slept, you've got hygiene and you've put calories in your body and anything above and beyond that is just golden, right? You've got up, you're sitting up, you're alive, you're on this side of the planet, right? You're on this side of the dirt and anything else that you accomplish that day, you just get a gold star, right? Just automatic gold star. That's really good advice. <laughs> I, I, I like that. <laughs> I like that advice. It works. Um, it I, works. I know. I, I tell you, uh, I've had a married couple in to the class maybe 18, 20 years ago, and then I just did a podcast with them to see if their grief had changed. And she, the mother, said Deb Banks said she used to go to sleep to because it fooled herself. She would try and fool herself, saying, "I know this must be a bad dream. I'll wake up tomorrow, and my son Jason, who's in high school." He'll be back. He'll, everything will be mm-hmm. back to normal. So she said she did that for months. She fooled herself that way. That's how she went to sleep. Um, so do you think that men, let me ask you your perspective, because I know we, we weren't planning on talking about death and dying, but do you think that men and women grieve differently? Um, maybe. I don't know. I was a single parent at the time when Kimberly died. So I can only speak from my point of view. What about, you know, your, just- what about your dad? Um, so my dad stayed with me for like six months after the shooting and he was probably the main reason that my dishes got done and my food got cooked Wow! for that period of time. Yeah. He was, he called himself the chief cook and bottle washer, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, seriously, like bless him, bless him. Like God, he really, he, he made sure that, that we, we're functioning, you know, that we were doing all of those bonus activities besides brushing our teeth and, and taking a shower every day. And, um, yeah, he, he suffered a little bit differently. He had maybe a lot more insomnia than I did. Um, he, he also though, if I can, you know, going back to the medical thing, um, he, he got shingles, Mm. he got shingles after the shooting, um, he came in one morning and he's like, look at this like rash. And I said, you probably should go get that checked out. And it was shingles. And he had had shingles in the eighties when I had had chicken pox. Oh. That was how you did it. But back then you, you had a chicken pox party with all your cousins, right? Cause there wasn't a, yeah. a chicken pox vaccine. And so, um, yeah, that was his second time having, having shingles. So, yeah. Yeah. We often forget about grandparents in grief and i think as a grand yeah. as a grandparent I mean, he, lost, he lost a grandkid but he lost you know? he also was seeing the grief through your eyes he also yeah. was grieving because you were grieving and so grandparents get like a double whammy they lose they see the grand granddaughter 
or the grandson lost, mm-hmm. but they also see their daughter or son grieving, and that hurts twice. And we often yeah. forget about them. So make sure you thank your dad if you already haven't. Forget. Oh yeah, no, I do all the time. <laughs> yeah, so I think you're really you're really to be admired, Rhonda. I really do. Uh, you took grief from Kimberly's death, her murder. You channeled it towards advocacy for public safety, safety of kids in our schools. So let me ask you, what are some things that you've done the past five years to to advocate for gun safety, and what do you consider your greatest victories? So I started speaking, it was was about a month, actually. It was about a month after the shooting, and I spoke at my first March for Our Lives rally in Houston. They came on a big bus tour, and I've been speaking consistently since then on the issue of gun violence and preventing more mass shootings. And last year, I was part of the team after the Uvalde mass shooting, which I knew would happen. I knew Greg Abbott told us that, oh, we would, Santa Fe would be the only mass shooting, the only school shooting in Texas, but I knew that wasn't going to be the case. So like, it was just a matter of time. But, um, Last year after Uvalde, I was part of a co- of a, a group of coalition, you know, coalitions, and we got the Protect Our Kids Act passed, which included the Kimberly Vaughn Safe Storage of Firearms Act. So that was historic in Congress last year. That package of bills turned into the Build Safer Communities Act, which was signed into law a year ago by President Biden. And then recently in this uh, Texas legislative session, we just passed Senate Bill 435, which would allow us and other crime victim families across the state to finally view the, the crime scene evidence and videos and autopsy reports from our, from our tragedies. Yeah. So I've had like two, I've had two major victories in one year. That's good. So what advice do you have for those of us who like to advocate for different things. So so this ties in kind of you're asking what's what's the advice for after after the shooting. Um I would say um like on so going back to like a holiday, let's take a holiday for example, on a holiday, you know you're going to be sad because your loved one is not there. Yep. And something that I've worked with really, really hard in my therapy sessions is to find a new routine. And I spend at least half of my trauma, you know, like half of my shooting day, I go and do something that brings me joy. I go to the museum. I go to the zoo. I do something fun that keeps me in the present and keeps me grounded. And then in the afternoon, in the evening is when I can be sad and cry. So that really helps. My second piece of advice for people that want to do advocacy and lobbying is to find a lobbying group um, that fits with the needs that you want to do, right? So there's some groups that they're, you know, they, they focus on... Um, Twittering, Twitter and phone calls and writing postcards. And maybe you want to join that group and that's fine. And then there's some groups that they fly to Washington, D.C. and they meet and they meet face to face with the lawmakers. Well, then you should align yourself with that group. And so you just need to find your little your little village of advocates that you're comfortable with and stick with them. And also if you get with one of those groups that you go around to the offices, always ask the lawmaker for their regional snack because a lot of them have really good snacks. Like you get peanuts or popcorn or whatever. Oh. And those little snacks, you know, let me tell you, those little snacks on a lobby day will keep you going. Ask for a drink of water and the regional snack and you'll be good. <laughs> so ask them what the regional snack mm-hmm. is. Yeah, because each, especially in the Senate, each senator's office is going to showcase like their regional snack. Gotcha. Um, Yeah, it's really good. Like I think in Florida, they have like peanuts 
And in Texas, you can get a Dr. Pepper drink. <laughs> <laughs> so do you recommend Let feeding them, you. like making cookies or brownies or anything? So that's what I did, um, especially for the Texas state legislature this year, is I made lots of cookies. I made my basic chocolate chip. I call it my campaign cookie recipe. <laughs> and I put two cookies in a bag. And you'd be surprised what you can make just like with an Avery template or Canva or something and just print out like a little sticker or a tag that says support this bill, you know, support Santa Fe, put your bill number on it. And then every time you go to an office, you say, well, you're going to share your testimony. Oh, and have a cookie. (laughs) And I bet they eat it too. I know those cookies. Oh yeah, yeah. they do. They do. Yeah. And they get, they get to remember, you know, Oh, you're the lady with the cookies. Yes. You're the cookie (laughs) lady. You're the cookie lady, Ron. That's good. That's a good tip. It really did help. I, I think that we, Swayed a couple of lawmakers just with cookies and testimony. Well, that's this good. Year, well, you must make good cookies. That's epic. all I can say. So I'm if, just saying. So if you're just tuning in, I'm with Rhonda Hart. She uh, was forever changed by a mass shooting in Santa Fe High School in Texas. And Rhonda's daughter, Kimberly Vaughn, who was 14 at the time, was murdered that day, along with nine others, an additional 13 people were injured that day on May 18th in 2018, almost two dozen people. So since then, Rhonda has been a tireless advocate for protecting children, particularly in schools and gun safety. And that's what we're talking about when gun violence becomes personal. I think uh, a week or so ago, um, there was some kind of anniversary. Was that the Uvalde anniversary, I guess, one year? Yeah, Um it's actually a couple of weeks ago. What's today? The eighteenth, twentieth. Today's the twentieth. Yeah, it's summertime. My days have run together. So it was almost a month ago. Actually, May twenty four was their first year landmark, and May eighteenth was ours. So I had spent May eighteenth in Houston doing my thing. And then on the 24th, I went to drive over to Uvalde and spend time with them for their uh, first landmark and their and their vigil, which was, it was really sweet. It was, it was yeah, it was good. And if you don't remember, listeners, uh, I think in Uvalde, Texas, I think there were 19 fourth graders, fourth yes, grade kids. 19 little kids and then two teachers. And then the spouse, the next day, the spouse of one of the teachers suffered a fatal heart attack, Mm. probably from grief. I remember very vividly that my chest hurt, my rib cage hurt for like six to eight weeks. I just felt like there was a brick on there. So honestly, I was not surprised to hear of that poor man's passing. And I know there's a lot of anger in Uvalde among parents because those police officers just stood there. They didn't charge mm-hmm. in. They, they just watched as kids and kids were begging them to break in the room and on their phones. And but that I mean, we've seen that in other mass shootings too. We saw it in Parkland where you? the school security officer hid. You know, um, these officers go through. They go through an interview process. They go through a training process. At some point, they read a contract, they read a job description, and they sign on a line, you know, to accept the fact that they might get shot, right? And they accept that pay and they they knowingly accept that risk. But our kids didn't. Our kids didn't, you know, raise their right hand and volunteer to be placed in the line of fire. And you can't, you know... Greg Abbott is hiring for cops, but you have to, I guess, the the, the courage comes separately. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, no, you, you see it. You see it across across the board. Is it, you know, they're they're for protecting themselves, but but not for protecting the kids, which is tragic. We're going to talk about Governor Greg Abbott in a little bit, uh, a little more about him. So you said repeatedly, mm-hmm. I, I've, I've seen other press releases and so forth, you say it's easier to buy a gun than to vote. What do you mean by that? It is. It is. So I went to vote the other day in my city, had a runoff election. I had to go and show my driver's license 
to the first clerk. I had to sign in. I had to take my number to another clerk. I had to get my access code and a printout. And then I had to take my access code, put it in the computer, put my paper in the computer, record my vote, get it printed out on the paper, take the paper to another machine, feed it in, and then wait for the American flag to record my vote. And that was just to do the act act of voting. And this is also me climbing up on my high horse. To vote now, mostly in the state of Texas, you use your driver's license. And I had to renew my driver's license about a year ago. And I went and I brought like my lease agreement and my birth certificate. No, I did not bring my birth certificate. I brought like my lease agreement, my social security card and like utility bill, which is all you need to prove that I'm a human in the United States. And this is my address, correct? And I got there. And I have a CDL, so it's a little more complicated. But the the clerk at the DMV was like, do you have your birth certificate? Oh. And I was like, no. She said, you need your birth certificate now or a passport to get a driver's license and to get the real ID. Because you can only get a birth certificate if you're a natural-born U.S. citizen, right? Right. Or you have to pay a certain amount of money because I'm applying for a passport. You have to apply for a passport and pay the money and and wait. I think mine's taken like over 10 weeks now. And so they're using the driver's license and your birth certificate and that whole connection to weed out people that aren't legally born in the United States to, to weed them out of the voting block. It's this whole conspiracy theory that I have. <laughs> In no, my head, it totally makes sense. It's not a conspiracy theory at all. It's been proven. So it's it's become an entire, I mean, you need a, it's an entire day to renew your driver's license. You have to make an appointment. You have to bring the documents. They need like your credit score. And you have and to a stand DNA in line or almost. sit there for yeah, yeah, hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it's this whole complex that they're just trying to weed people out from the voting demographic. Now, if I wanted to, I could probably walk into Cabela's or a pawn shop and just buy a gun, not, you know, fill out a couple of lines, swipe my debit card and go. Or I could just go to a gun show and like maybe pay cash and walk out with one instantly, right? But I'm not I'm not a gun person. I don't own. So I can't speak fully on that. But I can tell you it was a process to get my driver's license. And then every time I go and vote, it's a process to even get my ballot in. (laughs) Yeah, I I can't believe what I've read about the shooter's easy access to ammunition either. He was 17, as I recall. Um, Yeah, so he was um, 17 and a half. And he purchased his uh, ammunition online from LuckyGunner.com. With an American and Express he, card. His parent, probably his parents. A gift card. He used a gift, oh, card, gift card, actually. Yeah. Um, so, like, why isn't, why isn't there a system that trips up if you buy that amount of ammunition with a gift card? Um, but we did, some of us had entered into a lawsuit against Lucky Gunner distribution website and because they had sold handgun ammunition to somebody that was under age 18, which is illegal in the state of Texas. And we did win that lawsuit. That was actually, um, that was a really big deal. We should not have been able to win that. And yet we did. Very good. I'm glad you won it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that that was a big deal. Yeah, yeah. I think you, I think I remember you said, or remember maybe in a press release or something or an article, you said your son, who maybe was around the same age, was was unable to use a Visa gift card to buy a video game from an yeah. international seller. Was, Is that right? Yeah, it was a couple of years ago. He wanted to buy the game of Minecraft, and I said, "You're gonna do your little dog walking, earn the money." He bought himself a Visa gift card and he went to buy the little game of Minecraft online. And Visa doesn't allow international purchases. And I and I didn't know this. Minecraft was created in Sweden. I didn't know that either. I didn't know that. 
and like Visa has it. Like there, there's little, there's little trips that could have stopped that guy from buying the the ammunition online. And now, thankfully, as a result of our lawsuit, uh, LuckyGunner.com has had to hire a third party vendor. And they now verify the age of everybody across the country that wants to buy ammunition from them, unless the person is um, military, law enforcement, or a large public entity. Then they don't have to submit to age verification. But um, you know, if we if we've stopped one, you know, we're we're not going to know if we if it actually happens or not. But if we stop one seventeen year old from being able to buy ammo from that website, then we have successfully you know done our job yeah. on that one. Yeah, yeah, you have. Yeah, that was a huge deal. That should have got more press information, <laughs> more press interest than it did. Yeah, I didn't even know about that. So you mentioned earlier something about not knowing what happened that day or not seeing autopsy reports or so mm-hmm. why was that? Why was that kept from you? You I mean that was like twenty eighteen. That, that was-, was that was a Texas law that said that if in a in a murder or homicide case or a mass shooting case if the shooter was still alive and deemed mentally incompetent, the district attorney didn't have to release the information if they didn't want to. And our district attorney never wanted to because he thought it would um, the, the information would get leaked and it would taint a potential jury. And so we spent months, we spent all legislative session um, a couple months ago as a group from Santa Fe and we lobbied and we changed that bill. And I actually just, um, we're just, some of us are just now signing up for our appointments and we're doing it on a very case by case basis. They let us take our time, but we have now been granted access to that information for the first time. Very good. Yeah. I think you should, yeah. you should be able to see it. And it applied to not only us, but it was retroactive so that all crimes, I mean, even 10 years ago, if they met our criteria, then they could get their information as well. So we literally helped people across the whole state. Yeah, very good. Well, let's head down the home stretch. According to my research, as of May 9th, 2023, this year, there were 203 mass shootings in the United States. Sounds about right. Yeah, about 203 as of May 9th. And I'm defining mass shooting as an incident in which at least four people or more were injured or killed. These Mm -hmm. these figures include shootings that happens in public places like malls, shopping centers, schools, places of worship, and in homes. Let me ask our listeners what they think. Listeners... It's time for you to to speak up. Do you think that mass shootings are on the increase? I'm going to pause and let you think about that for a minute. You tell me based on these statistics. In each of the last three years, there have been more than 600 mass shootings, almost two a day on average. In contrast, in 2014, there were only 273 total, total, For all of 2014. And when I went to school, and I was in elementary school in the 60s and junior high and high school in the 70s, 70s, getting shot at school was not even on our radar screen. We didn't even think about it. Uh, I wasn't scared. I, I didn't even think about it. It never happened. So let me ask you, do you think mass shootings are on the increase? And it almost seems like Americans have grown accustomed to this violence, almost indifferent to it. Americans read and see news and they yawn and go, oh, there goes another one. Didn't happen in my backyard. I guess it's not going to happen in my neighborhood. I'm okay. What do you say to that, Rhonda? How, what do you say to that person who says, well, it doesn't, doesn't affect my family or neighborhood. Nothing like that will ever happen around here. That's exactly what they said at Santa Fe. And I can tell you specifically that it did. I remember vividly it was the end of February and uh, it was February 28th 
and it was a we had a late start for high school and junior high that day and I was driving my bus route and I noticed that I was picking up all my junior high kids but like none of my high schoolers and I asked the the junior high kids I said hey where you know where's your siblings where's everybody else that's supposed to be at your bus stop and they said well Miss Rhonda um, there was a thing on Snapchat that said there was supposed to be a mass shooting at the high school today. And you want to talk about free, I'm, I'm, uh, Columbine was my first school shooting. I was a junior in high school. So I'm, I'm Columbine era. And my hand just started shaking mm. on the steering wheel. As soon as I got off, I was on a major road. I got off onto a side road. I pulled over and I called my dispatch and I said, Hey, you guys need to know about this. My kids are telling me this. And they were like, yeah, we know, we're aware, we're handling it, the school is handling it. I was like, okay. And so, you know, you get all these little threats, but you honest to God never think that, oh, it's, it won't happen here. If we're fine, we're a little community, everybody in Santa Fe's got guns, but it'll happen. I, hand on heart, it will happen in, in your area. You will be impacted by it one way or another because the rate of gun violence just keeps creeping up every every day, every every year. We have more and more mass shootings. Average of two, so don't two, ever per, think day. two that, per day yeah, now. Yeah, don't ever think that it won't happen to you because it totally will. Yeah, that's good advice. Um you know, I think Americans are growing indifferent to this. And one of the reasons why we want to highlight you and Kimberly on this podcast is so they don't become indifferent. We want them to feel uncomfortable. And I hear a lot of politicians say after these mass shootings, our thoughts and prayers are with you. Um, many politicians have said we don't need new gun laws. Instead, we need to focus on mental health. What do you say about that, Rhonda? I say that's crap. Greg Abbott says that all the time that every mass shooting is a result of mental health. And then he went and cut our mental health budget across the state um, significantly after the Santa Fe shooting and then after the Uvalde shooting. So, yeah, it's crap. It might be mental health related, but also in the equation is the gun the actual device. And if we can limit access to that device, then we can reduce the chance of gun violence. And that's that's science. Yeah, you mentioned Governor Greg Abbott. Um, I'm going to call him out. You know, if he was really concerned about the mental health of Texans, he wouldn't have done that. And he has a really, yeah. he has a really strange way of showing his concern. If, if you look at Mental Health America, that's a nonprofit organization and they rate different states on mental health programming and access, they place Texas near the bottom for multiple mm -hmm. metrics of mental health care. And the best, um, the biggest mental health provider in the state of Texas is the Harris County jail system. The jail system. And people, yeah, and people are known to get arrested on purpose to get mental health treatment in jail. Yeah, I was going to say that this nonprofit rates Texas last in the country out of 50 states mm -hmm. in access to mental health care. And yet, yet when we look at prevalence of health care, prevalence of mental health problems, I should say, prevalence, they rank third. Texas ranks third. So that's a I'm weird, surprised. that's a, that, that's a weird way of showing. We have, we have the most mental health issues and the least amount of availability to get treatment for that. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, it's a really strange way. So let me think. Let me uh, talk to you about red flag laws. Are you a proponent of red flag laws? And I support. I support a red flag law. We know from interviews that have happened on television, the dad thought that he was being clever by having an interview in the Greek language. Um, on a on a Greek TV show, but he has said in that language, he said that he knew his child was mentally struggling, and he had stayed home with his child to support him through this little struggle. And he had stayed home for about two weeks, and then we know that pretty much the day after that the dad went back to work is the day that our shooting had happened. 
And so if the guns had been removed from that house and put in a safe location, like at the sheriff's office, or if the kid had been in a safe facility, like a mental health institution, either way, he wouldn't be near the guns. And then the shooting would not have happened. Or simply if the parent had locked him up. Yeah, correct. If he had gone through um, and just got a basic cable lock and a trigger lock, it wouldn't have happened. Or put him in a lockbox, for example, a safe or something, it wouldn't have happened. But they were in the shell, they were in the closet, basically. Yeah. So, Ron, I think you're ex-military, is that right? I am. I was in the Army. You are in the Army, so you're not afraid of guns, and you've shot guns before. It's not like you're Correct. you're anti anti gun because you haven't touched him. You've touched him and handled them, um, mm-hmm. and I really it's just not my deal. I just don't. I just don't enjoy it. Yeah, and and I appreciate that. But the point is, your ex army, your vet, you handled him. You shot. You aren't. You know. You're not opposed. But now that your daughter has been killed and gun violence has been very personal to you. I'm sure it has changed your perspective. My last question yeah. is, this podcast is called Grassroots Health for a Reason. And we think, I think, that things that come up from the bottom, from the people, and they swell, um, are the most effective. So what do we do at the grassroots level to help protect our kids? The first thing, and I can't stress this enough, is... If you're a, a parent or you care about kids, you have kids in your presence and you also have guns in your presence, you can't lock up the kids, hardy, har, har, because um, they're going to be all over the place. Um, but please lock up your guns. It's super easy to do. A lot of places like Cabela's and Bass Pro Shops are going to give you a lock free with your purchase anyway. There's also probably websites where you can fill out a form and receive one in the mail. Um, purchase, purchase a safe if you if you need to. Like if you have a long gun, you know, you got to think about it. You invested in that. That's something that you spent money on. And I, I wouldn't want to have that stolen or messed with, right, by, by somebody. Um, so please, I can't stress this enough. If you have kids in your house and you also have guns, please lock up the guns. Um, and then it's summertime. Let's say your kids are going to go off on a play date. Ask the other parent, hey, what's the gun situation at your house? Right? I also stress this for single people because I'm a single person and sometimes I do go out on dates and I say, hey, if we're, if we're going to go to your house, what's your gun situation? Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's safety for women 101. Yeah is to ask if, if your potential partner has a gun and what is their situation. Um, yeah, so I can't stress that enough. It's just if you have one, make the choice to lock it up and then um, store your ammunition in a different location from your gun and lock that up to get you a little can. Those are really cheap. They look nifty. Yeah. Yeah, don't lock your ammunition with your gun. Lock your ammunition separately. Correct. And um, also, don't, Keep your gun in your car, um, especially if you park your car out on the street. I don't know if many people know this, but your your car has glass windows, <laughs> which are super breakable, <laughs> super duper breakable, and then your gun gets stolen. And again, you spent money on your gun device. I would like to not, I would not want to lose money if it were me. Yeah, don't keep your guns in your car. And don't take them to the airport in your suitcase because the TSA... No, that's, I, that doesn't... That does not behoove you either. TSA will get very mad. They will get upset. You over that, yeah. Yeah. And I know that yeah. happens. So but, those, are my, those are my two... You know, just please lock it up. Yeah, I appreciate that. You've been listening to Rhonda Hart, whose life was forever changed on, on May 18th, 2018, when her daughter Kimberly Vaughn was murdered in a mass shooting. We've been talking about when gun violence becomes personal. Thank you for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. 
You're welcome. I'm glad we got it figured out this time. Yay! <laughs> yeah, we uh, we recorded last time, and I, I for some reason we couldn't hear each other. I couldn't hear Rhonda, so uh, this time we didn't have those problems. So thank you for coming. Uh, we'll be You're next in August. Uh, I think we have episode 12. That's uh, our mass shootings caused by mental illness. We're talking to an expert in mental illness. And then uh, in September, we have a guy from a foundation who will be talking about grant writing. Like, what are the common mistakes that people write when they submit a grant application? So you want to be there for each episode, each month. First Monday of each month, it's free. So welcome. And thank you, Rhonda, for coming on today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Take care. All right. 